Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Tonight is a uh, sort of a special night in that we have now gone through officially two-thirds of the study. Uh, From the beginning, it was slated to be 120 sessions, and so tonight we're at 80, and uh, it was funny, Tom came up to me in the uh, prayer meeting before this, and uh, he, he was just, you know, meditating on this right as he's getting ready to come into the Revelation study. And it's Habakkuk uh, 2, verse 2. I just thought it was appropriate to read. Habakkuk 2, 2, the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it for the revelation awaits an appointed time it speaks of the end and it will not prove false just even uh the prophet habakkuk recognizing the the end time revelation message and and uh, he's speaking about a very small component of what would actually then be drafted and included in the book of revelation uh later uh under john's ministry anyway i just thought that was a an interesting little nugget uh for today and appreciated it tom And so uh, we're going to jump in uh, to tonight's session after I pray. Notes are being handed out if you don't already have them, or you can uh, grab them online. There are digital copies available uh, on our website if you go to the resource tab and click on recent uh, uh, recent teachings. It'll show you tonight's message. (coughs) Well, Father, we ask you tonight for your help that we would gain understanding about the revelation that awaits the appointed time, the time of the end. We pray that you would speak to us and that you would lead us and instruct us so that we might know this book well, that you promised a blessing if it's read and if it's taken to heart in Jesus' name. The book of Revelation, deep darkness comes over the land. Tonight is about the fifth bowl. I included fifth bowl in the title because uh, while we're just looking at the fifth bowl uh, tonight, the the focus of it is really about a deep darkness, a, a very unusual darkness that's going to cover uh, the, um, the land. And so uh, tonight, looking at the fifth bowl, and if we could, if there's somebody, maybe, and if we could get these lights just down a little bit, the, the stage lights are just a little bright. House lights are great. Okay. Um, thank you. That's great. Uh, introducing the fifth bowl of wrath. Uh, In this session, we're going to look at the events and the details that surround the outpouring of this fifth bowl. And again, for those of you who need the reminder or who might not be used to the content, uh, there are 21 significant judgment events in the book of Revelation. They're called seven seals. They are bad. The seven seals. They're in chapter six, mostly, of the book of Revelation. Then there's the seven trumpets, and those trumpets are worse than the seals. And that's primarily in chapters uh, 8 and 9. And then you've got the seven bowls of the wrath of God, and they are way worse than the trumpets, and that's in chapter 16. So we are now looking at these uh, bowls of wrath and uh, the way that they uh, uh, play out. We looked at the first four in our previous session, and now tonight we're looking at this fifth bowl of wrath. So one, two, three, four, five tonight. Well, this fifth bowl of wrath 
is part of a broader storyline. We did a whole session, if you guys remember, the light and darkness sequence of Revelation. That was a session that we did. We looked at all the occasions in the book of Revelation where the lights came on really bright or the lights went totally out and were really dark, either in a part of the earth or the whole earth because of this situation or that. And then the lights came back on again in a really crazy way. And even Jesus, when he comes back, is coming back with great brightness. We looked at this lights on, lights off, brighter, dimmer, way dark, you know, too bright. We looked at this uh, light darkness sequence and just as a point of reference. And tonight... We're going to kind of focus in on one of those moments. Uh, this is a, uh, a very strategic part of the uh, light-darkness uh, sequence that goes on in the book of Revelation. And it's this fifth bowl, it's a plague of darkness. It's not just that darkness is happening as a byproduct. In this judgment, the darkness is the plague, okay? So let's look here, Revelation 16. 10 through 11, middle of the page. The fifth angel poured out his bowl onto the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Now, I feel like it would be... Uh, uh, very helpful. In fact, I, I don't think we even get the complete picture of what's happening here unless we also read the parallel account that happened during the Exodus when the Israelites were coming up out of Egypt. This is one of those plagues that's a, you know, a line for line sort of a comparison. It's one of those plagues that it happened in Egypt and it's happening again here at the end of the age, bigger. But it's, uh, we want to understand what happened during the Exodus because the plague is identical and it really was just a warm-up. It, it was a starter, kind of a dress rehearsal for what was coming on a global scale here. So we just read the Revelation account of what's going to happen during the fifth bowl. But now let's read about the plague of darkness that happened in the book of Exodus. All right, Exodus 10, 21 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that spreads. Darkness that can be felt. Horrifying. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. I think for us to really understand what's happening in the fifth bowl, we have got to uh, understand and, uh, and take the account of Exodus at its face value and see what components carry over. Because the whole point is God is doing the Exodus a second time during the end times and the uh, realities that occurred in the first, you know, uh, uh, Revelation judgments, Exodus chapters, whatever, through whatever, in the first time that the, uh, the Revelation judgments happened, it's like they were happening small. They were happening in a uh, specific locale. They were limited to Egypt. But when they happened the second time at the end of the age in the book of Revelation, it's all that occurred in Egypt, but on steroids. 
I mean, it is so much more, so much bigger, louder, worser, okay? So what I want to do is I just want to read to you phrases or paraphrases from those two passages, the Revelation 16 about the bull, uh, the fifth bull, and the Exodus uh, 10 uh, about the plague of darkness during the, uh, the Exodus. I want to read to you phrases uh, and paraphrases from those two um, accounts so that we can kind of get a picture together of what we're talking about when we're looking at this fifth bowl. Uh, top of page two is the list here. The bowl is poured out on the throne of the beast. The Antichrist kingdom is plunged into darkness. His people, speaking of the Antichrist people, gnaw their tongues in agony. It says they curse because of their pains and their sores related to this darkness plague specifically. They refuse to repent of what they had done. They are aware of what they have done. I, thought, I put that in there. I thought that was an interesting point. They aren't repenting of what they've done. They know what they've done. They're aware of it. A darkness that could be felt. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. A total darkness covers the land. Total darkness. This darkness was present for three days, at least in the account of the Exodus. For three days, total darkness. No one could see anyone and no one could move about. It says no one could see another person. Now, what that means is zero people saw a human for three days, even if the human slept next to them and was married to them. The darkness was so dark, no one could see people. That is an intense darkness. I mean, that is like no light whatsoever sort of a scenario. It says for three days, no wonder they couldn't move about. They couldn't move about. They couldn't see their spouse. They could talk to their spouse, but could not see them for three days. So that's too dark to go out. That's too dark to move about. You're afraid to move in your house. I mean, that's just terrifying. Plus, it's a darkness that could be felt. It says the people of God, however, had light in the places where they lived. That's another very interesting detail about the plague of darkness in the book of, uh, in the book of Exodus and that I believe will absolutely carry over into the book of Revelation account. We'll look at some verses as to why. Well, look at part E here. The Lord promised to do it again. Now, again, I want to I give you uh, three just interesting takes on biblical prophecy, okay? For those of you who really love to string the details together, pay attention. You've got the Exodus account, factual, historical reality of a plague of darkness. It already happened. Exodus chapter 10, it happened past tense. Revelation chapter 16, you've got a future factual prophesied account that will occur during the end times, during the bulls of wrath. It's prophesied, it will happen. So the one in Exodus has already happened, past. The one in Revelation, future. <coughs> but these two verses we're going to look at, and these aren't the only ones, these are verses that happened, that were prophesied after Exodus but before Revelation, and they're prophesied that God would do the Exodus 
darkness plague again. But these are verses outside of Revelation prophesying it's going to happen again. And then lo and behold, it happens in Revelation. Okay? Just look at these verses. Deuteronomy 28, 27 through 29. The Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and festering sores and the itch from which you cannot be cured. These are verses or, or ideas from the Exodus account. These are ideas from the judgments of the, the Exodus. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. At midday, you will grope about like a blind person in the dark. At midday, middle of the day, it's going to be so dark you're going to grope about not as a blind person, but like one. It's not, you will not become a blind person, but you will grope about like one because the darkness will be so dark. The darkness will be like the Exodus 10 darkness that you're like, it's the middle of the day. It's three in the afternoon and you're groping about in the dark. That is so intense. It's describing not the Exodus that already happened. It's describing a future account which matches the Exodus. You got it? So that's part of the reason I think we cannot study the fifth bowl without looking directly at the parallel passage in Exodus chapter 10 because it's the promises from the word after Exodus was already over describe a judgment event at the end that matches what was happening during the Exodus. All right? Let's look at Isaiah 8, 21 through 22. They will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Thrust into darkness, plunged into darkness. Same exact idea. Plunged into darkness is the language from Revelation chapter 16. Thrust into darkness is describing is the events here in the language of Isaiah 8. And it's describing the generation that will be alive in that time and all the details. It says, and they will look about and they will see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they themselves will be thrust into utter darkness. And it's just... There's a lot about that that would also apply to uh, the lake of fire and to hell. But there are some details about that that are clearly describing the earth. It's a prophecy about the fifth bowl of wrath. Plus. All right, a physical response to their spiritual darkness. Now, we're familiar with this, that the end of the age is going to be filled with uh, spiritual darkness. Uh, I so appreciate Andy doing this course right now on the Harlot Babylon because it describes the generation that is flushing down into that spiritual darkness and depravity. It describes the, 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 uh, the steps and the compromises that occur in order to get an entire generation to fully embrace darkness. So we know that that's going to happen, but this uh, darkness plague is a physical response from heaven to the spiritual reality on the earth. The spiritual reality on the earth is deep darkness. So God sends them a plague of deep darkness. Okay, I want you to see that, that connection there. A society embracing darkness for light. Look at the top of page three, this verse in Isaiah 5. We've looked at it kind of uh, in passing a number of times in this course. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This, amongst other things, this is a verse describing the final generation who is putting darkness for light. They're choosing it. They're embracing darkness. A society dark beyond redemption. We saw multiple times in the book of Revelation, we just read a verse that said it, multiple times that they refused to repent. I gave you a verse there just a little bit earlier in Revelation 16. These plagues occur and they refuse to repent. It's a generation, a society that is beyond redemption. When God brings his judgments into the world, it's to teach the world righteousness. Isaiah chapter 26 He's to teach the world righteousness. When God brings his judgments into the world and there is no responsiveness to judgment, none, these are a people who are irredeemable. These are a people who will not respond. They are done with repentance. They refuse it. They are a a darkened generation beyond redemption. And that's this generation that a darkness plague is sent to. A society banished to eternal darkness. Ultimately, they're going to wind up in eternal darkness. But for the moment here, they're getting a little picture of it. This bowl is poured specifically out onto what is identified as poured out onto the throne of the beast and onto his kingdom. So this darkness plague, it's not poured out into the areas that the saints are going to be marching with Jesus. And it even leaves room for this darkness plague to not touch certain parts of the earth where the kingdom of the beast is not in operation. There will be pockets. I mean, if you can find one house that the kingdom of the beast isn't in operation, if you can find one city block, one small town, you know, out there on a boat in the middle of the ocean, if you can find a place where the kingdom of the beast is not in operation, it says specifically this darkness plague, just like Pharaoh, that darkness plague was targeting Pharaoh's kingdom, Pharaoh's throne, and it said, you know, but where all the Israelites were, they had light. Can you just imagine the disparity, the difference (laughs) that day? I mean, there's probably never been a day that was so different in two places at the same time in a zip code ever in the history of, of ever because you've got deep darkness. These guys can't move about, but it says wherever the Israelites live, they got lights, normal day. That's just crazy. Well, we want to understand that this deep darkness that's going to be poured out is not poured out on the entire planet. It's poured out on the throne and the infrastructure and the kingdom of the Antichrist, which will be very far-reaching, which will cover most of the earth, but not all of it. Okay? So just an interesting little point there related to the, the touching of, of where this, uh, this bowl touches and what, what this devastation doesn't touch. Physical darkness cover the land. Look at this verse I gave you here. This is uh, out of Ezekiel 32. This is, uh, there are multiple parts of the darkness, the light and darkness sequence that we described in a previous session. I gave you in the intro. There are multiple components of it being described here in this Ezekiel passage, but one of the parts of it is referring to this darkness plague in Revelation chapter 16. I'm going to read it. When I snuff you out, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. 
all shining lights in the heavens. I will darken over you, and I will bring darkness over your land, declares the sovereign Lord. I will trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring about your destruction among the nations, among lands you have not known. I will cause many peoples to be appalled at you, and their kings will shudder with horror because of you when I brandish my sword before them. On the day of your downfall, each of them will tremble every moment for his life." These are just intense words, all describing a series of events related to the second coming of Christ, of which this I will bring darkness to cover the land is in direct reference to Revelation chapter 16 and the fifth bowl. But a darkness that can be felt. I just want to look at that again. Look at uh, Exodus 10. Stretch out your hand towards the sky that darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. This darkness, we want to understand this. You can't feel darkness unless there's something supernatural about that darkness. Furthermore, darkness doesn't spread. Darkness isn't something. Darkness is the absence of light. But this darkness is something. (laughs) This darkness has substance. This darkness is like, like a dark cloud that envelops and blocks out light and even absorbs and snuffs out light from within it okay this darkness spreads this darkness can be felt a darkness that can be felt is filled with demons (laughs) a darkness that can be felt maybe it just is one giant principality you're inside a principality you're in his tummy i mean it's like This concept of a darkness that can be felt, we've got to understand the the component of the demonic realm in high operation within this darkness. This is not a neutral darkness. It's not like you've got light and darkness and, you know, darkness is just the absence of light. This is a different order. This is a different substance. This darkness spreads like goo. You know, pour out a bowl of goop black slime and as it takes over it snuffs out the light of wherever whatever would be under it and completely envelops it this is a dark goo that is poured out on the throne of the beast and on his kingdom and it's a darkness that can be felt at least the the exodus account i just there just seems to be zero percent chance in my opinion that the darkness account at the end of the age is going to be nicer than the darkness plague of Exodus chapter 10. Okay, we got to look at Exodus chapter 10 as the beginning point, not the, oh, well, God just reserved that darkness that can be felt thing just that one time for the Egyptians because he was really way more mad at them than he's going to be at the Antichrist at the end. Nope, I don't think so. This is a darkness that can be felt. And so it's, it's like, that's really intense. Um, all right, seeing the resistors in the fifth bowl. Now, we've talked about the resistors over and over, and we're just going to keep talking about them because they are the interpretive key that makes the millennium make sense. And I want us to see them here, even in this fifth bowl. It, uh, it says in uh, Revelation 16.10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl... And he pours it out on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. 
So this bowl and its parameters are destined and tied not to humanity, but to the beast kingdom and those that are part of the beast kingdom. Well, we know at this point that the church will already have been raptured because that happens at the last trumpet. And the last trumpet is the seventh trumpet and the seventh trumpet already happened. And We're now talking about a period of time where you've got the church has been extracted, but there's multiple verses in Revelation chapter 16 that describe the events of the bulls of wrath aimed at a particular group, and it's those that have taken the mark of the beast. It's those that are part of the beast kingdom. That by itself identifies there will be people on the planet that haven't taken the mark of the beast and that haven't that aren't going to be impacted by these judgments because again and again revelation chapter 16 identifies who it is that's getting targeted by these uh by these judgments now that's not the only reason we believe in the resistor we've, we've quoted that before and looked at that before but this is one more time to be able to look at it and go okay wow these guys are going to have a very interesting uh, path forward, but this verse in Isaiah 42, oh my gosh, it tells us exactly what is happening to the resistors while the bad guys are operating in the darkness plague of Bolt uh, 5. Look at these resistors. They have not given their life to Jesus or they would have been raptured. But they have not taken the mark of the beast or they will be right in the middle of the judgment of bull five. Look at Revelation, I'm sorry, Isaiah 42. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Now that blind is not referring specifically to people who can't see. It's talking about to those that spiritually are not seeing. And you can tell that from the, pa the context of the passage. I'll let you go do that homework on your own. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Who? The blind. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back into utter shame. This passage, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 42, describes the two groups just like Revelation chapter 16 describes the two groups. You've got the group that is the judgment is assigned to darkness, and you've got the group that is going to be protected from that darkness and even is going to turn darkness into light before them. That is just awesome. Can you imagine being one of those resistors and having that story? What a tale to tell. Man, oh yeah, I got saved in, uh, in the fifth bowl. Really, what happened? Oh man, it was so dark. And we were like, ah, it's dark. And then all of a sudden, Jesus started making it light and we knew it was Jesus. And he was leading us and he was guiding us in paths we had not known. And it was awesome. I gave my life to Jesus, my whole family. And it was great. That is going to be so incredible. The resistors here in bowl five, their perspective will be beautiful. Top of page five, Roman numeral number four, and then we'll break up into groups. The wicked begin to experience hell, but they haven't even gone to hell yet. The wicked get to experience some dynamics of hell while they're right here in the middle of bowl five. Now, 
up to this point, we've been talking about Bowl 5, and we've been mostly focused on the darkness part of Bowl 5, which is the, the biggest component. But remember, it's a darkness that can be felt. I don't know why. I'm imagining this darkness. Now, if I'm way off on this, I still think the picture helps get us at least in the right frame of mind, thinking down the right uh, road. Imagine demonic piranhas that can swim in darkness. Imagine that darkness that can be felt and there's demon piranhas that are allowed to swim around in it. Because it says this darkness can be felt, but it also says this darkness is connected to pain, agony, and sores. Yes, I recognize the whole earth will have had problems already, but this is a different judgment than the previous ones. This is a new judgment. And this new judgment connected to a darkness that, again, I'm, I'm pulling from uh, Exodus chapter 10, a darkness that can be felt. This darkness plague is connected to agony, pains, and sores. How do they get that agony, pains? If it's a darkness that can be felt, is it like, oh, I just feel a little sad today. I'm an antichrist worshiper feeling a little sad. I don't think that's what darkness that can be felt means that day. I think darkness that can be felt is, yes, the pressure and the, oppress and the, uh, the, the uh, pressures and pain and oppression, but I think something like there's things floating around in that darkness that can be felt that are causing sores and pain. This darkness, something about this darkness is a poison. Something about it. So again, whether the you know, demon piranhas is real or not, I don't know. It doesn't say that at all. But I'm just getting us thinking down a road of we got to, what is going on in that darkness? And if it's got a bunch of demons in it, what are those demons doing when we already know from the uh, trumpet judgments that demons are empowered at times to do very intense physical pain causing things to human beings? What about when it's the bulls and the bulls are even more intense and it's a darkness that can be felt and the demonic realm is got full reign in anywhere that that darkness goes. Uh, there's something floating around that's not good. They begin to experience hell. Look at this. Just If you read Revelation 16, 10 through 11, and you didn't know it was about a bull of wrath, you didn't know it was about darkness, you would think you were reading a passage about hell. You would think this is not on earth. You would think this verse is about hell. <laughs> Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. They're not in hell. They're on the earth in the middle of the darkness plague. See, they're experiencing hell or part of it or aspects of it real time on planet earth before they die, before they go to hell. They're experiencing hell. The worshipers are getting what they asked for. They were praying, give us darkness. They're getting darkness. Give us you. They are getting the prince of darkness in the most intense way. Give us demons. Give us more. They're crying out in a worship movement. And here they are now. They get demons. They get darkness. They get the environment of hell of which the prince of darkness abides. They're getting what it is that they've been worshiping for. So really, you could call Revelation chapter 16 and the fifth bowl, you could call it answered intercession for the beast worship movement. They are getting what they've prayed for. They have double dose. They are gnawing their tongues in agony. Now listen, 
I doubt any of you have ever done that. I bet if you ever did anything to your tongue, it was scratch it, kind of be sad because you bit it, and you're kind of trying to avoid it, but none of you have ever gnawed your tongue like an insane person, and you're gnawing your tongue in agony, and the agony you're causing your tongue is so light by comparison to the agony you're feeling elsewhere. It's like when somebody, you know, if you ever see it in you know, movies or whatever, they give somebody a stick to bite down on because they're about to set their leg or something, you know, really horrific or whatever. It's like, oh, these guys are doing that with their own tongue. Because the pain that they're experiencing in their flesh is so intense, gnawing on their tongue seems like wisdom. Seems like a way out. Seems like a, a, a deterrent of the other pains. And it, uh, that's just so intense. And they're writhing about. They're just on the ground, just writhing in pain and in agony. And they're not even in hell yet. This is like a taste of hell. It's like, it's like an appetizer. Like, are you sure you want this? Yes, we refuse to repent. This is the best. The heck is wrong with these people? They have taken the mark of the beast. I just cannot tell you enough about how dark the deception is going to be in this generation that you are likely to see and your kids will see. A dark deception to get the world to call evil good and to celebrate it so that we can celebrate the prince of darkness as the hero. There is a movement that is already in our midst. We must be people of righteousness. The Bible is right and everything else is wrong and a liar and a dangerous liar. The Bible is the truth. There is a movement in the earth that is bent on pulling the whole world and the church as well into darkness to celebrate it. We have got to be a people that have understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. You are not smarter than the Bible, and neither is the articulate preacher. The Bible is right and true. If it says it, it's right. We have got to be a people that hold to that because there's going to be a whole generation that's going to wind up gnawing their tongues, writhing about, experiencing a preview of hell, and in the midst of that, refusing to repent and give their lives to the Lord because they are so fully bought into the lie. Guys, we are living in the most important generation in human history. We must be wise and we must walk in righteousness. You got sin, repent, don't call it okay. Do not call darkness light and light darkness. Don't do it. Don't give into it. And the narrative is just beginning. The anointing on social media is just beginning. The anointing to convince a world that unrighteousness is a good thing, it's loving, it's caring, it's love, it's kindness, it's truth. It's just beginning. We must be a people that lean heavier and heavier into the word, into truth, into light, so that so we can if discern. Someone gives their life error, to Jesus after or, or the seventh trumpet, uh, and they die from one of these judgments somehow in there or whatever. Um, uh, that's, that's the question. What happens to them? Um, 
all of the verses that we see related to the way that God is interacting with his people, especially after the sealing of the, the uh, saints uh, in, was that uh, chapter 7, um, seems to give great promise of protection. And even that verse we read out of uh, Isaiah 42 for the for the lost, you, you know, they were they were blind and and not even spiritually inclined, and the Lord was coming to them and fighting on their behalf. So, I guess it's possible. I can't think of a verse that says it's impossible. I guess it's possible for a Christian that gets saved after the rapture. They were lost at the rapture. They saw their friend go up, and they thought, hmm, maybe I better rethink this. Gave their life to Jesus. They don't get raptured. I guess it's possible that some of those could die in the coming judgments. Uh, but whether they die in the coming judgments, there probably for sure will be some that will die as new martyrs uh, because of the wrath. So the question was, what happens to them if they die, if they, they gave their life to Jesus after the rapture has already happened and the great procession has already started, what happens to those uh, saints. I can't think of a verse off the top of my head, but I think there's actually some verses that would allude to it related to what happens to them in their, uh, in their reality in heaven. Uh, and I can't think of any verses off the top of my head, so you guys are going to have to go look on that one uh, on your own. But I don't believe that they immediately jump into the uh, the procession, because the procession is for those with resurrected bodies, and they've already missed that moment. That moment has already come and gone with the rapture. There's no second rapture. So there's no second get your resurrected body moment related to that reality. They, they, I would say that they go to heaven, and they're there awaiting the next dispensation of, of change of time, just like somebody who dies today. They don't get a resurrected body. They go up to heaven. And so I think that uh, heaven's going to be a fairly empty place at that point. Um, but I don't see any verses or any reason that would back up them joining the procession because they did not give their lives to Jesus during the season of time of which the resurrection and eternal rewards related to this age are uh, appropriated. Uh, when Jesus said, I, when I come, my reward is with me. And so if they give their life to Jesus after that moment, uh, I don't think they get a resurrected body. I can't think of a single verse that would point to that. So then where do they go? I would think that they go to heaven. They've given their life to Jesus. And they are now awaiting the next, uh, you know, shift of things. And that may well be at the end of the millennium. I would think that it is the great white throne. Um, so I think that that's probably what happens to them. Okay, uh, over here. Yeah, so the, the language of several of the prophecies that we read tonight that were from the Old Testament were more cryptic and more seasonal than they were specific to the fifth bowl. Uh, those uh, uh, passages that we read, or all three of them that I'm thinking of, they were alluding to components of the fifth bowl for sure, but they weren't limited to the fifth bowl. They were end-time prophecies describing uh, components of many of the events of the Great Tribulation period. And so the question was, you know, are they dual fulfillment? Do they apply? I think that they're 
their primary application is the end time judgments. And then there are specific pieces that apply to this judgment or to that bowl or to this bowl. But the prophet wasn't trying to give an articulation of the seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls of wrath. He was describing the realities of the end time judgments. John the apostle was the first to get the meticulous detail of these long prophesied events and categorizing them into seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls with detail uh, to each. So the Old Testament prophets saw dimly as in a mirror and John was seeing as in heaven, he's in heaven seeing the revelation, he's seeing it clearly. So we wanna look at uh, those two accounts as uh, dimly as through a mirror versus real time, you know, uh, marching orders and, and detail given from the angel and from John's own experience in heaven. So great question. And there's a lot of verses like that. I, I mean, I think very few Old Testament pa- uh, passages about end time judgment events are so crystal clear that they're only talking about one aspect of, of a judgment. Many of them are more broad strokes, lumping together ideas that then John in Revelation helps us break down. Oh, that part's this one, that part's this one. Uh, so that's a, that's a great interpretive key related to uh, eschatology in the Old Testament is a lot of times you're having to put those details together um, with the information that we have in Revelation. And instead of looking for a, a line upon line direct uh, correlation. You're looking for parallels. You're looking for unfulfilled uh, prophecies that to this day still have not been fulfilled. But many times those are going to wind up describing seasons of time with details. Then when you get to Revelation, you're actually then seeing the details that you can pick out one at a time. So that's, that's a great uh, question. All right. Yeah. Um, we had a question. So how does the brightness of Jesus's coming in the procession interact with the fifth bowl and the darkness plague. So darkness is poured out. I'm going to be oversimplistic for the sake of this analogy. Darkness is poured out on the earth. Jesus is the light of the world. Okay? So he is light. So when light came and first started in Genesis, it was Jesus. So So now you've got darkness being poured out, and don't forget who the source was on that, God, right? Jesus is now a match walking around in that darkness, and everywhere that that darkness is touching, it's not, but it's not just a match, it's a match with a trail of light behind it. And so everywhere Jesus goes, he's transforming both the topography and the, uh, the darkness uh, aspect you know, of what's happening. But during these bowls, his traveling, as far as Jesus specifically, during these bowls, and by the time we get to bowl five, his traveling is greatly limited geographically to the Middle East. And at this point, you could probably even say you know, lower Edom or uh, you know, somewhere around in that territory as far as how far along he's got to be by bowl five because... Uh, because he, by bowl seven, he's in Jerusalem fighting the, uh, the final battle of Armageddon. Well, that's only one bowl between. So he can't be too far geographically. So yes, as he's marching, it's almost like, I could just imagine him looking up like with this smirk, you know, like when bowl five gets poured out and like, it just goes dark everywhere, but the wave doesn't hit him and his guys. 
You know, like the wave just can't touch him in the procession as they just now plow through the darkness. So great uh, visual. That's, that's awesome. Good idea. Who was last? Yeah, Luke. So what does it look like when Isaiah 42, in the context of Bull 5, starts to unfold? Well, I think Isaiah 42 is layered in the way that it will impact. You know, one of the things that's an important, uh, if you don't hear anything of this Q&A, hear this statement. When we're talking about eschatology, the tendency is to oversimplify everything because our brains can't handle all the fragmentations and splinters, okay? But like when we were talking about the Jews in the end times and we identified like seven or eight groups, it's that complicated. Well, I think as we're talking here about how is this uh, Isaiah 42, it says uh, in verse, what is it, uh, 16, I will turn the darkness into light before them. I think that that phrase is going to wind up expressing itself in a wide variety of ways, not just one. So like I'll give you a for instance. The very next verse says, and make the rough places smooth. Well, make the rough places smooth is part of the criteria connected to the procession. So as the procession is coming through, it's making rough places smooth. It's making high places low. It's making low places high. It's leveling the ground. It's making things a smooth path. So in one sense, Isaiah 42, verse uh, 16, is connected to the procession directly and the light of that procession is is touching the dark places through the south of Edom and that sort of territory of, of modern day Jordan but in addition to that it's talking about those that were it just says I will lead the blind by ways that they haven't known and, and again you can tell by the context of the passage it's not primarily referring to uh, uh, physical blindness only and so you've got those that were walking in that darkness that are now having that light touch them. How does that impact them? I don't know, except that we've got the Exodus chapter 10 account where it says that there was light in places uh, specifically uh, for those that, the, that in, in that hour it was Israel, it was God's people. But in this hour, we're talking about the difference between the resistor and the one that takes the mark of the beast. The resistor's name has already been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So at least in one sense, there is a guarantee that these people that have not given their life to Antichrist are going to give their life to the Lord. So what does it look like when the Lord wholesale does that across the earth? It just said in Exodus, it said, the Israelite, everywhere the Israelites were, there was light. So I don't know if that's Jesus turning on a light or if, if the Spirit of the Lord is touching them. I don't think it's going to be every place, every person. I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of mystery there. Uh, but I would say the one part that I think we, we want to approach it from with some clarity is we don't want to come with a universal answer to how that light scenario is going to touch every uh, person that doesn't have the mark of the beast because I think it's going to be different by geography. It's going to be different by purposes of the Lord, different by connection to the procession. There's just a lot of those nuances uh, that will wind up giving variants. So uh, worship team, come on up. Well, Father, we thank you for the word and we thank you for just these wild things you have done and promised to do. You are powerful and awesome and creative. My gosh, Lord, you... The things that you do that you've got on the docket. 
they are going to be so incredible and intense and nuanced. And I'm thankful, God, for conversations like this tonight, that even if we didn't get answers to each specific idea, our imaginations were provoked to start thinking down a road and start paying more attention to Bible verses to see where you might fill in the gaps. So Lord, we thank you. We ask you, God, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus' name. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you 